we're going to deal with over the next couple weeks have to do with our family relationships, our blood relationships, and specifically uh, dealing with the marriage relationship this week, and then next week the, the relationship between parents and, and their kids. And uh, so being more of a newlywed and not having kids yet, he said, John, man, you've been married forever, and you've got a bunch of kids. Uh, that'd probably be better for you to be speaking on that. And uh, you know, part of the intimidating part of that, uh, for all of us, I think we begin to recognize as parents and even in the midst of being married for, for quite a few years, uh, man, we are continuing to grow into it, right? And uh, God shows up in the midst of our own failures and the fact that we have an amazing number of shortcomings in who we are and our ability to do the things God calls us to do, whether it's in the marriage relationship or it's in our, our parenting. Uh, fortunately, God comes, and in the midst of our weakness, He comes and shows up often and does beyond us. You know, I look at Hannah and just the amazing girl that she's grown into and, and I realize part of that is is what Susan and I have done and then there's a huge part that God just has shown up in the midst of uh, things that we did not do uh, in places where we probably failed God comes and, and works in a person's life and so that's that's encouraging um, and what, part of what I recognize when we begin to talk about relationships um, for many of us um, there's a lot of pain in those areas when you talk about a marriage relationship, uh, there's uh, places where we have failed and, and it, it begins to hit you. There, there's those of you who have lost spouses, and, and, and so even talking about it, just a reminder of that loss. Um, some of you are in the midst of relationships right now where uh, it's a struggle and there is pain. And so when we begin to talk about relationships, for many of us, I imagine that there's places where it's just difficult to hear. It's difficult to talk about, and there's pain. And so um, I want to just uh, begin with a time of prayer, recognizing that. And uh, you may or may not know the person next to you, uh, but I want you just to pray for them. If you don't know their name, just ask their name. But I want to just take a minute, and you pray for the person on your right and the person on your left silently. But uh, you may know some of the things they're going through. Uh, you may not. But uh, as we begin our time, I just want us to pray for each other. And uh, really ask God to come and speak in a, in a powerful way today. And so let's pray. Now, Father, I thank you. That in this time together, for every person, Lord, we come into this place not uh, unknown by you. Um, that you know our stories, you know our lives, and you know those that de- today, uh, because of relationships, man, there, there's pain, there's heartache, there's disappointment, there's a sense of loss, there's struggle, there's questions. Um, Lord, I pray that you would meet them in those places of need. I, I thank you, Lord, that when we are in need, those, those are always uh, places in which you long to come and to show up and, ex- and extend your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your compassion. And so I pray today that uh, we would experience that in, this, in the midst of this time. And Lord, as we turn to the scriptures, I pray that you would speak to us uh, deeply of your heart and your desires for the marriage relationship. And so we give this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So when John gave me Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, I really didn't think about specifically 
what that passage was. I, if I would have thought about it, I would have, would have th- known exactly what it was. Uh, but as I began to study and look at it, I mean, the first verse, uh, you've heard it maybe. If you're familiar with the scriptures, it simply says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, in our culture, those are very countercultural type of words. And, uh, you know, depending on the setting, that would kind of be that scripture. Those words might be kind of the elephant in the room, you know. Uh, when I hear that, for, for many in the church and those outside the church, when they begin to think about what it means to follow Christ, they, they picture this very, these cold relationships where men are absolutely in control of everything and then domineering and there's anger and there's forcefulness and there's, there's all this. So when we read those words often, maybe it's kind of, oh man, great. Do we have to preach on this? But as we begin to dig into the scripture, there is such a beauty to, I think, what God wants us to hear and understand in this passage today. And so, um, but like many things, I think there are some things that we need to grapple with before we come to this passage. Some, uh, maybe I I would call them prerequisites that we need to understand if we're going to truly live into what I think God speaks in these scriptures today. Uh, The first one I would say is that romance is a core component of a marriage as God designed it. God is the author of romance. And so sometimes when you read these scriptures, you you think of this cold, mechanical kind of relationship that is in marriage. And maybe for some of you, you've seen that or experienced that. But the relationship of marriage that God has designed, romance is at the very core of it. That is a deep, intimate love relationship that we share with God and then we share with our spouse that is rich and warm and life-changing. I think the second thing I would say is that we must have a respect for the Word of God and a commitment to follow what it says. Because sometimes as we read the Scriptures, I mean, God is real clear on what He describes here. What He calls the husbands to do for their wives. That, you know, if you don't respect the Scriptures, the calling that God gives to us in life in general But specifically today, as we talk about the marriage relationship, I mean, if we don't buy into it, there's no way we're going to go there. Because God's going to literally call us as husbands and wives and as people to die to ourselves. That's a calling if we're to follow Christ, right? To die to ourselves. And so if we don't buy the authority of the Scripture that God is really speaking to us and that it is the best way to live, um, we just won't go there. So we have to have a respect, I think, for the Scripture. The third thing I would say is that to be a Christian is to become like Christ. The question maybe isn't so much, are you a good Christian, but are you like Christ? When people see you, do they see Christ? We must understand that the very core of the gospel, as I said earlier, is to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves and we have to first live in total submission to God. And if we aren't resist, if we're resisting submission to God, we really can't move on to talk about anything else. What makes some of this hard, I think, this whole idea of dying to ourselves and submitting to God, is that we really like what Jesus did. We love the life that he lived, the life that he modeled, but when we begin to think about living like him, really living like him, 
I, I think it's kind of like up here we, li- we like the idea, but when it becomes something that we have to do, it becomes pretty difficult. We all admire his humility, but do we really want to live with that kind of humility? We all think it's beautiful that the Son of God would get down and wash his disciples' feet. In the church I was at before this, on staff and an elder, part of what we did at Easter time every year, on Good Friday, actually we would wash the feet of the people in the church. And literally, you'd be there for like an hour on your knees washing feet. It was this cool kind of experience. Would I want to do that every day? Absolutely no. And when we think about that in a figurative way, and what it means to serve at that level, I think we like it. We like the fact that Jesus did that. But is that a calling that we fully embrace? A life of servanthood. You know, we are thankful that Jesus was spit on, that he was abused, and he took it for us. But the truth is, I know for me, I, I would, it's very difficult to let that happen to me. I love the fact that he laid down his rights. But how often do all of us, we spend our lifetime defending our rights? First John 2.6 says, Whoever claims to be like him must walk as Jesus did. And so the question today really is, do we want to be like Christ? When people watch us, do they say, oh man... He's just like Christ. Look at the way he loves. Look at the way he forgives. I see that same humility in him that I see in Jesus. And so that that is the challenge of what we're talking about today. That is a challenge for me. You can look up on the screen if you have your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 23. And so we're going to read this in its entirety. But Paul says as he writes to the Ephesians, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, how many of you have uh, heard that scripture before? Is that familiar for most of you? Well, I, I want to start at the bottom. As we look at that scripture, I want us to start at the bottom because I think if we miss like verses 31 through 33, and really at its very core, 32, and we don't build the top part of the scripture based on that, 
that, that, uh, we miss something very significant. So again, in verse 31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I've preached this, and I've used this in a ton of sermons. I haven't necessarily preached it a lot. Uh, As I look back uh, over my lifetime, uh, early days when I was a lead pastor in in a church for about eight years, uh, I preached a couple times a week for a part of that, at least one time a week, and I think I'd probably avoid some of this passage back then. But in weddings, I often use it. What a beautiful imagery of that. That idea that a husband and wife, in some amazing supernatural way, become one flesh. Verse 32, though, notice it says, This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If we miss verse 32, you miss the crux of the whole passage. It's a quote from Genesis where it describes this idea of one flesh. When he created man and woman, that they would become one flesh. The mystery is the one flesh. You'll notice in verse 32, was pointing to something in the future of when the church will become one with Christ. It was saying the marriage relationship points to something in the future. When the church would become one with Christ. You see this pattern throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's scripture that talks about the idea of building the temple. If you look with me in Hebrews 9, 23 and 24, it says this. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. You see, when they built the temple, and if you ever read through the Old Testament, you get to this part where they begin to describe the building of the temple. and I mean, it is laid out foot by foot how everything is to be designed. And they did that because the temple was a picture. It was a copy of something that was in heaven that was greater than what was on earth. And then in Hebrews 10.4, it speaks about this idea of the sacrifices that were built in to the use of the temple. It says, because if it is impossible for the blood of the bulls and goats to take away sins, those animals that they used in the sacrifice did not pay for your sin or the sins of the people, but they were a picture of something that was going to come. My point is this. Just as you have this temple, this replica, this copy, that is pointing to something greater in heaven, this heavenly home that Jesus ultimately went to. And just as you had the sacrifice of animals that was pointing to something greater, that it was literally, it was pointing to Christ, who would ultimately die on the cross, that sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. He explains that your marriage, this union of a man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh was, and I would say and is, a picture of something far greater. The thought that God and I would be one. Marriage relationship points to the fact that we and God, we as the church, we become one flesh. Just like a husband and wife come together and become one flesh, there is this reality that me and my rotten, sinful flesh and blood, human being, me in that sin, can become one with my creator. 
This is an amazing thought, a profound mystery that God, that Christ and his church would have this marriage and somehow become one flesh in a way a husband and wife does. So we are in Christ. That is the mystery that we in our humanness, that we in our sin as a body of Christ and we as part of the church because of Jesus that we become one. So understand this is not about your marriage. Your marriage is pointing to something greater. Just like the temple was pointing to something greater. Just like the sacrifices were pointing to something better in Christ. That's why the Old Testament, when these priests would bring these, you know, rotten, pitiful uh, animals to be sacrificed. I mean, they'd be one leg or they'd be spotted and ugly and they would be imperfect. God said, man, I don't want any of that. I want you to be a perfect, perfect lamb. To be sacrificed. Because why? Because it was a picture of Christ. It pointed to something better. Something that would come. That's why this stuff is so important. Not just that we want to have a happy family. We're about something even greater than that. Creating a good home on earth. We're supposed to show through our marriage relationships. And through our lives together. A picture of Jesus Christ. Literally through our marriages. They are a picture of Jesus Christ. And so with that, we come to this passage. And the first thing we read is that as wives display Jesus Christ in their marriages, they do this by empowering their husbands to be spiritual leaders of the home. And it says specifically in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. The scripture says that God has given husbands a place of authority. I would describe it even as a place of spiritual responsibility in their home. They are to be spiritual leaders. Husbands, because of that, I think are accountable specifically and especially to God for the decisions that are made. If our actions in marriage were a result of what our spouses would deserve. Now, often when you look, maybe as a wife, you're looking at your husband, he doesn't necessarily deserve it. Uh, If our actions in marriage were a result of what our spouse motivates us to do, we'd be in trouble, right? If, as wives, if your ability to encourage your husband and look to your husband as a spiritual leader, if it was always dependent on him living up to that... Man, we would be in major trouble. I would be in major trouble. Husbands will not always motivate wives to to follow them, to to submit to them. But I say do this in spite of their actions. The great thing about doing what is right in spite of someone else's actions is first and foremost, you look more like Christ. Because Jesus, didn't he model that? He laid down his life. This is one of the biggest opportunities to look like Christ in our marriage relationship. And it's interesting. When a wife, and I used those words specifically earlier when I said empowering their husbands to be spiritual leaders. If in the scripture God says that as husbands we're to be spiritual leaders in our home. If a wife will 
encourage her husband and believe in her husband. I mean, as husbands, often we have these kind of these, we, they look like big egos, but they're actually these little egos. And we need, especially our wives, to believe in us. Like, I know you can do it. And, and give space and opportunity for husbands to leave. It, it will literally feed their souls. Um, when it talks about in everything, though, I, I, I would say this. It does not include if your husband is leading you into sin. Ultimately, you are called to obey God rather than man, right? And so there are places as your husband, and what's described here, and we'll talk about the husband in just a minute, but the husband is a husband as he seeks the Lord and, and as he's following him. Um, and as you seek the Lord together, uh, the marriage relationship, it's not like the wife is over here and the husband's here but it's a picture of because we are one flesh, we are walking together, we are leading, we're praying together, we're talking through things. But I think part of what the Scripture describes, the ultimate responsibility that God holds accountable is the husband to be a spiritual leader in the home. And we're going to describe what that looks like toward his wife in just a few minutes. Um, but if you find your husband has stepped out of God's authority, you can step in and say, hey, this is not what God would desire. This is not right. For some of you, your husbands are not believers or are not seeking the Lord. There, there's a great promise in 1 Peter 3. Listen to these words. It says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see this purity and reverence of your lives. Now, that's a pretty amazing scripture. Again, it says, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, the scriptures, they might be won over without words, but by the, the, the quality and the dignity of your life. So wives pressing into this and encouraging their husbands to be leaders has an incredible impact on them, even if they're outside of Christ, to come to Christ. And so the scripture describes that of a woman to... Of a, of a wife to love her husband in a way where she is willing to allow him to lead and to show respect. And then as we read on in the scriptures, it begins to talk to the husband. Um, it says, really what, what it teaches is that as a husband, I'm supposed to show the world a picture of Jesus Christ by the way I love my wife. And so that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, look at this with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we know how Jesus loved the church, right? And the scripture describes it beautifully that Jesus, the creator of the universe, came as a baby on, in, in the world. And he grew up and he gave, lived a perfect life. And he loved and he served. And ultimately he died on the cross for us. He gave himself for us. And so he gave himself for the church. And he says, okay, husbands, now you do the same with your wives. It's interesting to me that right after Paul establishes that husbands are to lead in their families, he immediately after that goes on to explain what leadership looks like. Jesus modeled it for you. And this is the way we, I think, can get way away from God. We get all into this idea of men... We are in authority, and we are, we are, you know, we're to be waited on, that type of thing. I know none of you guys are like that. <clears throat> but uh, 
The picture that God gives us is is a picture of servanthood, of giving your life away. Because in the scripture, Jesus, didn't he just give? He gave, he gave, he gave. 24-7. He's a giver. He was a servant. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come here on earth to be served. But he said, I came to give my life away as a ransom for many. Jesus got on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. He washed the feet of those who he created. Now, there was no question when Jesus did that who was in authority, right? There's no question. Jesus was in authority, yet he modeled it because of his deep love for his disciples. He says, to be a leader is to give your life away. It is to serve, is to humble yourself. And so he washed their feet. It says, husbands, that's the way I want you to be. That's the picture I want you to to show to the church, to the world, because it's an accurate picture of the relationship of Christ to the church. I want you to serve. I want you to love. I want you to give yourself away for her. That's what I did for the church. So it's really all about dying to yourself. Why did Jesus give himself up for the church? Look at this next passage, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. It says this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so again, it says, Jesus, why, why was he sacrificed? So that the church could be perfect. And so this marriage relationship, again, points to that. That in Christ, that we are forgiven. That Jesus died on the cross, so that ultimately, that we as the church, we as his followers, will become one with him. Completely free of sin, right? Ultimately in the presence of God in heaven. But while we are on earth, with his spirit in us, we are forgiven. And we are in the process of being transformed more and more into his image. In the same way, he says, as husbands, you're to love your wives. You're to give yourselves away in order to present her in that way as pure. And that's that's the picture here that husbands, our task here on earth is for the purification of our wives. This means I encourage her toward Jesus. I do all that I can so that she can be the beautiful person that God has created her to be, so I become her support. I become the one who believes in her and prays for her and supports her and encourages her toward Christ. So I give everything to lead Susan toward the things of God. And that paints a picture of what Christ has done on the cross and continues to do through his spirit with his bride. And so we're trying to paint a picture of something far greater, the profound mystery The mystery is that the Son of God, the amazing creator of the world, who comes down and serves his creation, he's a leader, but nonetheless, he's the servant. And so it's this stunning picture of how the Son of God goes to the cross for me. And now he's saying that's what the point of marriage is. It's to display to the world so that only way it works is that when we as the husbands love our wives, in that way. And as wives, we love our husbands in that way. And so what we're talking about here is our life purpose. The reason we exist. To put Jesus Christ on display to the world. 
And so the challenges of leading our wives toward holiness is a challenge because as husbands, we're broken, right? We are in need. The calling is daunting. To lead our families as spiritual leaders is daunting because we don't always feel like it. We feel inadequate. You know, part of what I I love reading and and just uh, seeing the story of those that you would think have it all together and everything's easy. I I remember, uh, I may read a portion of it next week, but John Piper, how many of you are familiar with John Piper? Great pastor, leader in in the, really in the country, a spiritual leader. Maybe people don't all agree with him, but he is such a commitment to loving Jesus. And uh, I remember his son who, who did the, wrote, who was a deep follower of Christ, but in this one writing, I don't remember if it was an article or a book, but he begins to describe his home life. It, it's not this perfect home life. He says, man, there are personality clashes. There were lots of arguments and all this sort of thing. That's real life. Any of you here, Francis Chan, uh, he's written some great books, great lover of Jesus. Um, and I was so encouraged to hear him talk about this. And he goes, man, I, I hate, and he says, I feel so inadequate being a spiritual leader in my home. He, he says, I even feel uncomfortable praying with my wife. You know, and, and this guy, but he says, I can pray with all of you and all that. But he said, I grew up in a home. Part of my baggage is that we showed no emotion in our relationships with each other. And so when I, he talked about getting around his wife's family, and they're all huggy-huggy, and I mean, he's all standing off. And, and even this intimate relationship sometimes with his wife, he felt uncomfortable praying with her. And that's real life. The truth is, for all of us, whether it's a wife seeking to love her husband and to respect and to, and to, and to follow as a, as a soulmate, or a husband that's seeking to be a spiritual leader in the home and feel so inadequate, uh, the reality is most of us feel inadequate to that task. And that's a good thing because it makes us desperately dependent on God. And that's why we go back to the fact that do we believe the Scripture is true? And are we willing to lay our lives down? And we're willing to lay our lives down to do what the Scripture teaches. Um, I think God shows up in our life. And in the midst of our need and lack, He forgives, he empowers, he guides. And the truth is, we're going to fail. We're going to fail a lot. But because we walk with Jesus, there is grace in the midst of that. And so we begin to understand that God gives us this amazing picture of marriage being this display for his greatness. In Ephesians 5, 28 through 30, it continues, in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The thought here is that I'm supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to love Susan as my own body. And when we become one flesh, we are one now, so her being hungry is like me being hungry, right? When she hurts, I hurt. When she has a need, my desire, that becomes my need that I own. Because I love her as my own body, I'm going to do whatever it takes to meet and to love her in those places of need. She's an extension of me. 
So we're to treat our spouses as one, an extension of our own body. And so you've got to catch this, though. There's something in addition here. The Bible says that we love our wives because they're part of our bodies. And so it would be like loving your hand, of course, or your, your own stomach. We are members of Christ's body. And again, that's pointing to something even more significant. And I want you to catch this. The God of the universe who is looking down on us right now. He's looking down on me in flesh and blood, and he's looking at, on, down on you in your humanity and in our messed up lives. And he loves us. He loves me because we are an extension of him. The God of the universe sees us as an extension of him. We are the body of Christ. If you follow Jesus... You are part of Christ. You are part of his kingdom. You are part of his church. You are his bride. And it's fascinating thing. He looks at you and when you have a need, he, that becomes his need. And so his passions become your passions because we are one. And so when people look at our lives, see God's desire is that they would see Jesus. And the ultimate purpose of our marriages as an end is not necessarily to be happy. You know, if we come to the Scripture and the whole purpose of reading the Scripture is that we can have a happy life and a good life, um, we've missed it. Because then God becomes a means to an end, right? There, there's a class, I don't know if some of you have taken it, it's on world missions called... Uh, perspectives. And uh, we, ought to, we ought to do that sometime here, but it's a, it shows the, 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 both the history of, of global missions as well as what God, telling the story of what God has done in the past up until the present, what God is doing today all around the world. And uh, there's one talk in there, and it probably last 12, 16 weeks, I can't remember, but it, there's one talk in there that I, I, I've mentioned and I referred to, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about it, but it gives this idea of cat theology versus dog theology. And uh, for cat lovers, they don't necessarily like it. But it's this idea that in Western culture, we have often what's uh, called in America, it's this cat theology. When we come to the scriptures, it's like cats. Now, I've had cats and I've had dogs. We've gotten rid of both of them. Um, I still love dogs. I I like cats. I like squirrels. I like animals. Um, God created them. But but (laughs) cats, uh, Jill, they, they... Man, they're more into themselves. Now, they might like you, but they like you only when they want you to like, you know, they'll let you pet them only when they want you to. And if they don't want you to, they're they're just going to ignore you. They're going to walk around. Rarely do cats run up and lick you all over your face. Now, some of your cats are kind of more like dogs, but, you know, in general. And cat theology is this idea, it's all about me. And so in Western culture, often we approach the scriptures like that, right? Right? We are such a materialistic culture and we are so much about ourselves, we often approach the scriptures. And so that's why when we teach the scriptures around, you know, how to have a better life, how to get rich, how to be happy, you know, it's all around these things. Um, that appeals to us. Because often we approach to this idea that our, it's all about us. But truly, as you look at scripture and what God describes, it's much more of a dog theology where dogs are much more, it's all about the owner, right? It's all about you. And I know that's stereotypical. But I, I describe dog theology as this idea that it's all about him. We read the scriptures and realize it's all about God's glory. 
And it's all about his purposes. And I think that's what the scripture is describing. Our marriages ultimately are not just about us having a happy life or happy offspring. Those are byproducts. But the ultimate purpose of marriage and life, we are created to display God's glory through our lives and His goodness and His power and His grace. I was listening to an interview with Brendan Manning. He wrote Ragamuffin Gospel, a lot of other books. Brendan Manning was a man throughout his life. He battled with alcoholism. But he was in the midst of that brokenness and the pain and even he had a relapse later in life after writing all these books and uh, I mean, he knew God. And in this interview, he talked about what does it really mean to be Christian? And he said, man, it means it's about being a professional lover of God and lover of people. I like that. I mean, that, that is life. We love God and we love people well so that our lives display God's glory. And, that, and that's what Jesus is describing here. I think in, when he calls husband and wives to love each other in this way, the purpose is that so our marriages and our lives point to something far greater. Display this glory that God became man, that Jesus died on the cross, that ultimately that we could be one with him. So as we lay our lives down for each other, it's an opportunity for God to work in mighty ways. So that when God, guys begin to see our marriages in the midst of even not doing it perfectly, they say, man, that, that guy loves his wife and serves his wife in ways that just is not normal. That's weird. And that, and that lady loves her husband and encourages him and believes in him in ways that I've just never seen before. And so it points people to Christ. I believe God's word. I believe as we learn to love and die to ourselves in these kind of relationships, that our our relationships will flourish and we'll honor God and we'll celebrate that, his goodness, and display his glory. Um, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning and... uh, You know, no matter where we find ourselves, whether we're married at this point or not, um, young, old, the reality is that we are the bride of Christ. And that because of that, um, because I have God, you know, I am rich. I'm in a good marriage because I'm in marriage with Jesus. I have a good family because I'm part of the family of God. And so the spiritual reality of that, I want you just to embrace in, in your heart that wherever you find yourselves in human relationship, because of our relationship with God, because of all that those things so dis- display, we are loved by God, that God loves you. And because of that, you are rich. You are one with Jesus. You're part of the family of God. And if that is a reality for you, uh, would you just express your gratitude for the Lord and what he's done in your life? That you would experience that? The completeness that comes through that? Father, I thank you for uh, the beauty of the Scripture and the life that you've called us to, a life that is full, uh, really, of adventure. Uh, 
Uh, following you, Jesus, is an adventure. And I pray as a church and as a people um, that we would ultimately, at the very core, know you, Lord. Know what it means to be one with you. And if there are some in this room that uh, are really wondering if they truly understand and know you, Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak and that you would touch them. And I pray that they would just open their lives and their hearts to you and say, Jesus, I believe, I want you. I want you to be my king. I want to know you. Or I want to understand, even if they're in this exploration right now, that they would just be open, Lord, to exploring what it means to really know you. I pray as married couples, those of us that are in this room that find ourselves blessed to be in those relationships, recognizing some are in very hard relationships. God, we pray that we would honor you in the role that you've given us, that we continue to lay our lives down for our spouses. Father, I pray for those that are in bad relationships or broken relationships, that you would bring healing and wholeness, that you do miracles. I pray for those that have a sense of loss. I know within our church that, that there are many that have lost their spouses, and uh, I pray that the memories of their life together would be rich, and that you would bless them today in those memories, but even in the loss of, I can't even imagine what it would be like not to have Susan with me. Um, I pray that you would be their comfort today as we uh, celebrate the gift of marriage. And uh, So, Father, we commit to you. We love you. Uh, we thank you for this day of worship. And as we close in a time of worship, God, we, uh, we pray that you would con- con- continue to come and to touch lives for your glory and for your purposes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.